0: If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, or Isaiah, whichever you prefer. (laughs) Isaiah chapter 9 verses 2 to 7 reads as follows. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the trampling warrior and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burnt as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us. A son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually. There shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onwards and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. <coughs> for a child has been born for us and a son given to us. In 2009, a court, I think it was in New Jersey, was listening to a, they were hearing a, a case where essentially the, a couple of the plaintiffs came in and they said, we are entitled to the winnings of a lottery ticket. So what had happened is there were about five construction workers. They got together once a week, they all chipped in two bucks, and they sent one guy, see the problem right there? (laughs) They sent one guy off to buy the tickets, and then he would check the numbers, and if they won they would, you know, split it and divide it evenly, because they all chipped in. Turns out one day they did win, about $38 million. And guess what happened? He disappeared, the ticket disappeared, he suddenly had to go for some operation, and then they figured out that this guy had actually won, taken the winnings, and he'd cleared off. And so they went to court, and in the end, the judge said, look, you're all entitled to a fair square here, so they all, they split it evenly, and they got exactly what was entitled and coming and rightfully theirs. It got me thinking about this idea about how we have certain things that we believe and understand, and in fact are rightfully ours. Think, for example, if maybe I know, and think it's Luke chapter 12, somebody comes up to Jesus and says to him, uh, uh, Teacher, tell my brother to, to share his inheritance with me. Why? Because he believes that rightfully he's entitled to a share of that. Now, if you had an inheritance that was coming to you and it, rightfully you were entitled to that inheritance and somebody took it and walked away, you would feel like you've been robbed. It would be a total injustice. You'll say, somebody has taken what is rightfully should be mine. What I'm entitled to has been taken from me. And quite honestly, this concept of justice, the concept of injustice, is this idea that you don't get what you deserve, or sometimes you do get what you don't deserve. And if we look at the Christmas story, there is actually something right here for us. We live in a time when Christmas has become so much about what it's not. It's become so much about the food. It's become so much about the presents. It's become so much about, I don't know, all sorts of things. I, 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 was, I just understand the world does not see things the way they're supposed to be seen. In other words... Christmas was established to remember and understand that this is the this is the, the coming of the Christ child, yet the world seems to continually be trying to take the Christ child out of Christmas, take Christ out of Christmas. Remember years ago there was like a move to let's not say Christmas, let's say Xmas or something, or the festive season, and somehow people seem to be trying to take Jesus and Christ out of Christmas. All you then have is a celebration where we give we eat a lot of food, so we have a really good New Year's resolution to lose weight, and then we give presents. So the next New Year's resolution is to save money and to kind of pay back all the debt we've now incurred. It's just it's crazy, but Ultimately, there's this sense where the world has been given something so very, very valuable. The Christ child, but yet somehow it has been taken from us. If you look at that passage of scripture that we read, verse 9, I want you to pay special attention to this. For a child has been born for us. The child is for us. A son has been given for us. This is God's gift to the world, the greatest gift that we have been given. Jesus is that gift, the greatest gift ever given, the greatest gift we can ever receive. And yet it is the one thing the world tries to take away and tries to rob something that is beautiful, something that is so precious from us. And so today I want to talk about restoring the gift of Advent, restoring the gift of the Christ child, back into our lives and even into our world and ask this question, how can we return that beautiful gift into the world in which we live? How do we return the Christmas child to this world? How do we give people the Jesus they never knew they needed? And I'm going to give you the answer straight off. So for those of you who've had a late night last night, you can doze off right after this. It's done. Share the story of Christmas. We restore the Christ child. We restore the gift of Christmas by sharing the story of the Christ child. Now, let me just say this. As we say, restore the story, tell the story, share the story. We use this word story, but this, it is so far from a story. If I say story, you might think Goldilocks and the Three Bears or some fiction that you pull off off the table. This is not a story that is is fictitious. This is something. This is a reality. This is true. This is real. This is something that is incredibly, um, it it is something that will change our lives. It's not just a fairy tale that gives us a moment where we can enjoy life and maybe check out reality. This is something that changes everything about us. The Advent story is God's world-shaking, life- changing gift that is freely given. It is not just fiction. It is reality. So there are two stories I believe that we can tell at this time. I'll spend a lot of time on the first, not much on the second. The first is this. We tell the story of God coming to us. God has come to us. That's the story we tell. You want to tell a story at Christmas? Tell the story. God has come to us. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Matthew 1, drawing off this passage. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The first advent is the story of God coming to dwell With his creation interesting as i say that the thing that really challenges me concerns me is that we don't fully understand what that means we don't understand the idea that the god of all creation the creator of the universe the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, the one who is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the one in who sustains all things, came to earth. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Humbled himself in the form of a man. And the reason is because we've heard the story so many times that the old, old story becomes old. And the old, old story has to become new for us again. It has to become something that lives in us again, something that comes alive, something that's real. It's interesting we live in a time when it's common for us to understand how the important people seem to separate themselves from the unimportant people. Think about this for a second. The important people seem to separate themselves from the unimportant people. We create these distinctions. So if you, live, if you work in a very big corporation you're probably aiming to get up a few stories, am I right? If you're in the basement sorting mail, you know that you kind of want to go up. But the guy that's on the top floor doesn't often come down to the bottom floor, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's not common for the guy on the top floor to go walk around to the people that are doing the work because in some ways there's a separation that the world creates. We live in the separation. Whether we agree with it or not, it's kind of the way we wired. And I believe somehow, if we look at the incarnation, we understand that there's a part. Of the sinfulness of humanity is a part of that. There's a sense where there's hierarchies. People on the top don't come down to work with the people at the bottom. The executives don't always mix with employees. Dignitaries don't always mix with those people they consider commoners. The affluent and the poor is not a common thing we see. And one of my personal favorites, public servants and the public they serve but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> CBS runs a, a series called Undercover Boss. Has anybody seen Undercover Boss? This is, now listen carefully, listen carefully to the wording that they use. How This is how CBS describes this series like this. This is off their website, right? Undercover Boss is a two-time Emmy, Emmy award-winning reality series that follows, listen carefully, high-level executives as they slip anonymously into the rank and file of their own organizations. Each week, a different leader will, listen to the wording, sacrifice the comfort of their corner office, (laughs) you see what that is, for an undercover mission to examine the inner workings of the operation. But that's the part of the world we live in. And if you really think about it, in this world, there is not an understanding that the higher-ups come to the lower-downs. In fact, even within the world we live, the sinfulness of the world, we even have various systems and structures and social structures. In India, you have a caste system where you you divide people into different areas. And you have people that even are considered so low on the the food chain, so low on the pecking order, so far down the ladder, that they are considered outcasts. Because that's the way the world works. Who you mix with, who you don't mix with. Who connects with who. Now we've got to bring this thing back to, to the Christmas story. So we have this thing in theology called the incarnation. The incarnation basically means that God existed before he came. When I grew up, I always thought, well, there was no God. And one day he got born and he came into existence. And I was like, that's a great story. Then I realized, actually, he did exist before he was born. The incarnation means that Jesus was alive. Jesus was there in creation. Jesus was a part of creation. In the beginning was the Word. and The Word was with God. And the Word was God. John chapter 1. That God existed in the beginning. God was there. And then there came a point in history. I think Galatians says when the time had fully come, this baby is born into a manger, in a stable, humble place. But it's not just a baby. It's not just the son of Joseph and Mary in fact it's not even the son of Joseph it's the child of Mary and this child comes and it's not just an ordinary child this is coming not from the top story of a high rise in downtown Houston this is not coming from the powers that be in wherever you want to call the powers that be that you think are the powers that be this is the God of all creation that says, I will make my dwelling place with humanity. And He comes to earth. May the Holy Spirit inside of us somehow quicken our understanding to understand that this is not just the story of a baby in a manger, but it is the story of God who has come to man. God has come. Humanity has received. Well, has humanity received the God of all creation? So he comes. John chapter 1, verse 11. The creator of all the earth. The maker of the universe. And John says he came to what was his own. Because he made his own. He created the heavens and the earth. He created me. He created you. He breathed life. The very life we have comes from God. And John 11 says, He came to us, but His own people did not accept Him. Think about this for a second. The absolute absurdity of having the Son of God, the holy, the glorious, the omnipotent, the magnificent, the immutable, Son of God Himself come to His creation, not just anybody, Fallen creation, broken creation, dirty, unholy, rejected, dejected, desperate, creation. He comes into the filth of humanity in our sinfulness. We are not worthy to have him come to us. And yet humanity looks at him and says, who do you think you are? What? What a story. The absurdity of humanity looking at the Christ child and saying, Who do you think you are? and yet, in the midst of that rejection, in the midst of the the absolute foolishness of humanity, Jesus doesn't call down fire from heaven, he doesn't bring another flood. He doesn't destroy humanity. He goes to a cross. And He dies for us. Wow. The Christmas story sounds absurd. In fact, it's so absurd that the world tends to relegate the Christmas story to the realm of fiction and fairy tales. For us who know it and say we believe it, it becomes an old story. It needs to become a new story. Why would the God of all creation humble himself in the form of a man, subject himself to the abuse of humanity, and then die? Well, here's a question. Would you do that? I mean, would you do that? I don't think I'd do that. What would motivate us to do things what, what motivates you to subject yourself to abuse, rejection, dejection, slander? In fact, what would motivate you to go all the way to the point of death? Like, like would you do that? Will you willingly do that? And, and what would it be that would motivate you? And I thought about this for a second. I thought in this world, there are certain things that motivate people. Money motivates people. Some people do some of the dumbest stuff for money, Okay another thing is some people do some really crazy stuff for fame I've seen people fall off cliffs trying to take selfies and all other kinds of things I don't know but there are certain things fame maybe finance maybe influence but Jesus doesn't want fame he doesn't want influence he doesn't want money he owns the cattle on a thousand hills so why does Jesus do this John chapter three sixteen just gives it so, just for God so loved the world. God didn't come because he got something out of this world. God didn't come because somehow he managed to get a few more notches up on the celestial kind of uh, leaderboard or something. Very simply, he came with a love that is greater than a love any of us have ever known. A love that completely sacrifices all comfort gives up absolutely all rights, all privileges, and surrenders himself into the hands of his very own creation who reject him, abuse him, and kill him. But he loves us so much that his ultimate aim is to take that chasm that is between broken humanity and holy divinity, and on the cross he bridges that so that we can enter into relationship with God. Now that's a story worth telling. The crazy thing about that is that I don't know how many people will believe that story. I think that's why we need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit helps make that real in our lives. When you look at somebody who is completely broken and they don't know where they'll ever find love and yet the Holy Spirit speaks to them and something inside of them says but this is real. When they consider their life, when they consider the fact that they are so unworthy of any grace, any mercy, and yet the hand and the love of Jesus extends to them and says, I love you, I receive you, I heal you, and I bring you closer, it's the Holy Spirit that makes that come alive. Let me read a scripture here as I slowly draw things to a close, slowly. Isaiah 53, verse 4 to 6. This is a, it speaks of the suffering servant. This is Isaiah's prediction, and it's a prophecy of Jesus. Um, Actually, an incredible prophecy because it's so close to the things that happened. We see it so clearly. I want you to pay special attention to some of the words that I've underlined there. Surely he has borne our infirmities. He has carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, not him. And by his bruises, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God has come to us. That's the first story that we tell. That's the first way we bring Jesus back into the story of Christmas. Let me tell you the second story. And I'm not going to take a long time with this because this is very simple. The first story is God has come to us. The second story we tell is this. God has come to me. God has come to me. You know, the problem with the old, old story, as I said, is that the old, old story has become old, and many people see it as fiction. But let me tell you when it's not fiction. It's not fiction when Jesus is alive and living in my life. When I can tell you not only the story of what he did on the cross, but how that has changed my life. Something has changed in me. What makes the story real? How can we move the Christian story from the realm of fiction to the place of non-fiction? The Christian story comes alive when we tell how that Christ child has changed our lives. Let me ask you this question. Who is the baby in a manger to you? Not just the baby in the manger, but to you. Who is that child? How does the Advent story change? Has it changed your life? What does that Advent story mean to you as a person? How are things different between how you were and how you are today? There's that, that beautiful saying, and I think it comes from the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm not the Good Samaritan, the, 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 the prodigal son. And it's that idea where the father speaks about the child that has come home. And he just says this, he says, let me tell you something. He once was lost, but now he's found. My story is the story that I once was lost, but now I'm found. And if you read through the Gospels, as Jesus touches lives, throughout the time, as He touches lives, people don't have a theology. They don't have all the right answers. Uh, he gets the woman uh, in, in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. He, he, he tells her, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, that's right, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had four, and the guy you with now isn't your husband. And she goes, oh, I'm in trouble. This guy knows his stuff. But you know what she does? She goes back to the city, and she doesn't say... Well, here is the theology of Jesus who is at the well. She goes back, she says, Look, I don't know what's going on here, but I just found a guy who told me everything about my life and my life has changed. Why don't you come with me and let me go introduce you to Jesus? In John chapter 9, there's the blind man and Jesus touches him and he heals him. And the Pharisees are like, Hey, let's interrogate this guy. Who is this guy? Who does he claim? He goes, Look, guys, I don't know what your story is here, but let me tell you something. There was a time I could not see. Now I do see. That's my story. Now you can think what you want, do what you want, but I've had an encounter with somebody that changed my life and something has changed. That is my story. And all of us, each and every one of us, we have a story to tell. We have the first story, Christ has come. But the second story, the powerful story, the story that makes it so alive in our lives, is Christ has come to me. This morning as we wrap up our service, we have four Four. Advent candles and we kinda of got a problem because we've got this one in the middle that's actually we're not gonna light it. I know. Because today's the fourth Sunday of Advent and tomorrow's Christmas, so when do we light the Christ the Christ candle? I mean this is a problem for us, right? So we're in a school, so we can't meet tonight, we can't meet tomorrow, so we've got one candle that's not going to be lit. But you know something? There's something quite powerful about that. Today, each and every one of you are going to get a candle that you're going to take home. One with a real flame, not electric flame. Don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and what I really like about the fact that we take this home is because we're not lighting a candle in a church and leaving it in the church. We are taking the story of Christ into your home, into my home, into every home in this place. We don't light it and blow it out off the service and close the doors and lock up and switch the lights off and say, enjoy Christmas. We say, take the light of Christ into your home today. On your way out, you'll see on the table there's a take one per family. You'll also get some liturgy. What we would read in church, you can take that and read that at your table tonight with your family. If it's you alone, well, you can be reader one, two, and you can read together on your own. (laughs) If it's you alone, We'd love to share Christmas with you because you shouldn't be alone. You're a part of a family. Let us know how we can bring you into our family, okay? But you can read this. There are so many things happening. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the scripture we read, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, the light of Christ. Those who live in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. The the first Advent is Christ comes as a child born on Christmas Day, to bring hope to all humanity. There is a second Advent and maybe even a third Advent, and I can keep going on with this. But there is the resurrected Christ that has come to you. He comes to you as a person. And even as we light this candle, let us remember to tell the story. Christ has come to us. Christ has also come to me. But Christ is available to come to all. Let us pray this morning I pray God that by your Holy Spirit you'd quicken our hearts this morning that the old old story would not be old but it would be something new and alive and living in each one of us may we know that a gift has been given to this world a child has been given to us, has been given for us. May we live in that revelation. May we not hold on to that, libera- that revelation, but may we share it with the world around us. My prayer this Christmas day is that the world will once again see the light of Christ. That in the midst of deep darkness that covers the earth, a light will shine again. My prayer, God, is that that light will shine not from some strange place from a mountain top or the heavens, but in us, Lord, and through us, may people know the love, the grace and the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. This we pray. Amen. Amen.